0: Okay, so imagine that you have something that's really valuable. I mean, in real monetary terms, it is something of great value. Now, it could be money. It could be cash money that you've got on hand. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a a really valuable antique. Uh, We're not talking about something with mere sentimental value. We're talking about something that's got real monetary value. I mean, it's something that somebody else might like to take from you because they could take it and sell it and, and get some cash. This thing that I'm talking about is of particular value. Now, add to that that you understand that this thing has is under particular threat or at risk. Maybe this thing that you have is in such demand and it's known that you have one Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a very, very valuable car. Well, obviously, the people around know that you have this car. Maybe you're driving a Ferrari, and it's in your garage. And that thing is hundreds of thousands of dollars. I can't imagine anybody buying a car like that, but you did, and you got it in your garage. And people know you have that car in your garage. They'd love to get their hands on that thing. You are at risk of someone who might steal it. So what do you do? What do you do? Well... You set a guard, right? You don't, you don't leave the garage door open uh, and, uh, and, and everything unlocked and the, and the keys in the ignition. You don't do that, right? You, you set a guard, uh, something that valuable. You might get a human security guard. At the very least, you're going to set a guard by way of some kind of electronic surveillance, surveillance and monitors and so forth. Uh, that's what you do when you have things of value, That's what they do, for instance, at a bank. You know, at a bank, there are all kinds of security measures in place. It it used to be so that when you went into a bank years ago, that they actually had an armed guard on the premises. I don't know how many of you can remember the old Andy Griffith show uh, where Barney was just absolutely certain that the security at the local bank in Mayberry was not adequate. And he was just sure they were going to get robbed. But they had a guard. I think I think the guard's name you remember Asa the guard was Asa and Barney was so upset because Asa usually sat there in his chair asleep Barney had him pull out his pistol and when he did the thing just fell apart just disintegrated right and so Barney was all alarmed that there was not security at the bank you got to have a guard and he's got to be he's got to be doing his job right All right I think you get the point that we're trying to illustrate here now Here's here's the application. You have something of value and it is at risk. You're going to guard it. What's your most valuable possession? What's the most valuable thing that you have? I know you know where I'm going with this. Your most valuable possession is your eternal soul, right? I don't care how much money or precious things you own. There's nothing that compares to your eternal soul. And your soul is at risk. You have an enemy who has stated his desire to to cause you to lose your soul's eternity in hell. And therefore, what you need to do is to be on guard and to keep awake. We're going to use as a text the statement that Jesus made in Mark 13, verse 33. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. We want to develop that theme in our study together this morning. This is for us all. Every one of us needs to be on guard and keep awake. We stop here just briefly to add words of welcome to those that have already been expressed. We're glad that you're here. We take encouragement from you. I hope you know that. And we're glad that we can spend time together on the Lord's Day worshiping. It's a real blessing and something not to be taken for granted. There are other people in this very world today who do not have the privilege that we have of open and free assembly to come together without interference to express our devotion to God. Uh, And to join together in worship, we're blessed, and and we should not take that for granted. We're we're thankful and we're glad that you're here to be a part of it. Again, for any and all who are visiting with us, thanks for coming, and we hope you'll come back, come back at your earliest opportunity. Be on guard, keep awake. Other versions say it this way: Take heed, watch and pray. Take heed, keep alert. Beware, keep alert. Be on guard and stay constantly on alert. They're all saying the same thing, obviously, right? But you get the idea that this is really an important principle. This is such an important thing that there are all kinds of warnings about watchfulness in the New Testament. You know, warnings are not given unless there's legitimate danger. You you warn when there's a danger afoot, right? Even when you're driving down the highway... If you, if you were driving down the highway and you saw a flashing sign and and an indication that there's going to be a, a sharp curve ahead, but you keep driving straight and it's flat and straight as far as the eye can see, you would think, well, that doesn't even make any sense. They issued a warning about a dangerous curve and there's no curve in this road for miles and miles and miles. You don't make warnings when there's no danger. Well, that's true spiritually too. And so since there are so many warnings in the Scripture... Surely we understand the danger is real. Jesus warned about spiritual dangers that confront us. We already read one of those in our text statement earlier. But look at another place. In Luke chapter 12, beginning verse 35, Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh in an hour when you think not. Here's another analogy about guarding and being ready. Your lights burning. You ever been driving out in in some area at night uh, and you look and from some great distance you can see just a really illuminated area. I mean, there are lights everywhere. Uh, And as you get closer, you realize this this is a place of high security. You you know, there's a lot of security when they've got the place all lit up, right? And so, this idea of having your lights burning is another kind of concept regarding our watchfulness. And note, you don't know, be ready for, uh, be ready also for the Son of Man cometh at, at an hour when you think not. And so, the fact of the matter is that because we don't know when final judgment will arrive, and since we're constantly under risk spiritually, we need to be at constant vigilance. It's not, it's not the case that you could say, well, uh, I, I think I'm safe for the next 10 years. Uh, I don't have to pay much close attention. Uh, I, maybe I'm safe for the next 20 years. Maybe some of our young people say, I think I got at least 50 years before I have to pay any close attention to spiritual things and be on guard. No, we don't know when we need this to be ready, and therefore we got to be constantly vigilant. Jesus warned, but he wasn't the only one. The apostle Paul certainly administered warnings about watchfulness In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, he said, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Notice this expression, quit you like men. I remember years ago, I had not been preaching very long, and, and I made reference to this passage, and I said, quit you like men. Well, how do men quit? Well, men don't quit, right? They, they don't quit easily. They don't give up. They, they, they're determined. They stick to it. So Paul's saying quit like men and men don't quit easily. Well, that's a true statement, but that's not what this word... That's not what this word... This is an old English expression in the King James Version. The New American Standard Version says, be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And so this idea of quit you like men is more accurately translated act like men. All right. I think we can still make the same point, right? But think about it. A child is careless about things that have potentially great value. And so a little child might be playing with that antique that's been passed down in your family for the last several generations. And it's not just sentimental value. This is an antique that's worth potentially thousands of dollars. And here is a little child playing with that in such a way that they put it at great danger. They don't know any better, right? A child doesn't know better and does not treat things of value with careful respect. We are to be like men. Act like men. Act like a mature person. Your soul is valuable. Act like you understand that. The question this morning, of course, is do you? Do you act like you understand the danger that is real? Paul, in another place, said in First Thessalonians 5, verse 6, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So certainly the Apostle Paul issued warnings just like Jesus did. And then maybe one of the most familiar warnings that we have, that we reference quite often, comes from the Apostle Peter. In First Peter chapter, let me see if I can get this to work. In 1 Peter chapter 5, at at verse 8, Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We're going to come back to this verse in, in just a moment. But right here, we're just emphasizing the fact that Peter, as well as other inspired writers, certainly emphasized the need to be watchful. All right. So there's plenty of warnings, and warnings are only given when there is a legitimate, real danger or risk, and there's certainly plenty of warnings that are often, we could, we, we've given, we've referenced several, we could give a whole lot more, but you get the idea. So, let's ask the question, why is it so important to be watchful? Okay, I, I know I'm supposed to be, what, what's behind that? Why do I need to be so careful? Well, the first reason that we would offer is because Satan is powerful and active. Satan is powerful and active. Let me take you back to that text that we just had on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I think... By inspiration, Peter used the the analogy of a roaring lion purposefully. Because that just, that just evokes in us a, a feeling of fear. I mean, you think about a lion, that's a powerful predator. There, there, may be, there may be more dangerous predatory animals in the world, but that's the one I think is going to come first to your mind, right? You've got to be careful if there's a lion. What, what if there was? Uh, A a roaring lion. Maybe right here in in our area, the news reports have been of a lion on the prowl. And you say, oh, come on, Greg. There's no lions in North America. We don't have to be... Now, there might be mountain lions, but there are no lion lions in North America. Certainly, there are not even any mountain lions in our area. So uh, that's, that's unrealistic. Okay, one escape from the zoo. Let's say, so, a lion escaped from the zoo, and they have seen it in our area. And someone has just come in and said, That lion that's on the prowl is in our parking lot. What are you going to do if that was the case? What are you going to do? If, he, if the lion was lurking just outside, are you going to not pay attention, not worry about it, not think about it? Obviously, if there is such a predator nearby, you're going to be very careful. Satan is like a roaring lion; he is a vicious predator. What do you do then? Well, understand that he is walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Notice, notice the present tense verb: he's walking about, he's seeking whom he may devour. And I'll tell you that 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 tells you something about his tireless work to attack us spiritually. He is like that lion who's constantly on the prowl, always hunting. He never rests. He never lets down. He constantly works to, to, to destroy us spiritually. And so in all of that, you see, the reason we need to be so careful is because our adversary, the one who is, is attacking us, is never stopping. He's, he's vicious. He's deadly. And he's always at work. That's plenty of reason to be watchful. Want to know how determined Satan is to try and get at us? You remember very well that he tried to tempt Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 4, beginning verse 1, Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And you you know that text as it goes on to describe the temptations that Jesus faced. And he resisted them, right? Perfectly resisted the temptations. But he, here's... Our point here is about Satan himself. You want to know how determined he is? How hard he is trying to get accomplished what he wants to He would even try to get the very Son of God to sin. He would tempt Jesus himself. And so that tells you certainly you are not uh, free from the danger. If he would try to tempt Jesus himself, certainly he's going to come after you. So when we read about Jesus being tempted, we we read this occasion and then maybe you might be led to the conclusion, well, then it was over for Jesus. After he resisted Satan those three times on this particular occasion, maybe that's all there was, but that's not the case. Verse 13 says that when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Even in the case of Jesus, Satan never gave up. He never stopped tempting even Jesus. And he's going to tempt you and he's going to tempt me. He is very powerful and active. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 3, beginning verse 4, When we were with you, we told you before that we would suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means, notice, the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. So Paul had been away from these folks for a while. He had warned them about hard times that would come, and they came. And he said, I just had to know how it was going with you, because he was concerned that the tempter would take them. The tempter would tempt them, and everything that had been done would have been in vain, good for nothing. That all of the work and teaching and encouraging the obedience of those people in Thessalonica would be wasted in the fact that they fell to the tempter. The temptation is real. The tempter is working hard. He's very powerful and active. Something else about him that really calls out for our watchfulness. Be on guard. Keep awake. Because he's very clever at deception. You remember watching the old westerns? I still like to watch the old westerns when I can find one to watch. And, of course, on the old cowboy shows, the adversary very typically the Indians. It's cowboys and Indians, right? So from those old westerns that you have watched, what's your best case scenario if the Indians are going to attack? Well, if we can get in a spot here, Where they have to come at us from that direction. That's the only direction they can come at us. If we only have to defend against them coming at us from one direction, we're in pretty good shape. We might we might make it. But if we're out in the open, when they where they can come at us from all directions, it's much harder, right? It's much harder when the when the the one who's attacking can come at you from all sorts of directions. Well, in the case of Satan, he comes at us from all sorts of directions. Satan has many ways to approach us. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Emphasis here on the fact that there's a plurality here. Plural. Devices. Satan just doesn't have one device to use against you. He's got lots of Devices. He can come at you in all sorts of different directions. In the reading that was done for us earlier from 1 John 2, John cataloged the the three general approaches that, that Satan uses. Everything he does falls into one of these three categories. And then within those categories, I think he's got all kinds of different tools to use. But remember 1 John 2, beginning verse 15, "...love not the world, neither the things that are in the world..." If any man love not, uh, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but as of the world. So here John says he's got different ways he's going to come at you. They will fall into one of three general categories, and he works that way. He uses all the devices at his disposal. We talked just a minute ago about the temptation of Jesus and. And usually when we talk about the temptation of Jesus, we break that down to show that Satan used these three methodologies against Jesus when he tempted Jesus. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And actually we also go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 in, in the very first occasion where Satan approached mankind to cause sin, to place temptation We think he used those same three general approaches here. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise. There's those three general areas again, we think. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. And so what we're saying there is you certainly need to be on guard because Satan is very clever and deceptive and he'll use every tool in his toolbox to get at you And he's got lots of different ways. Be on guard. Keep awake. Of course, this watchfulness is certainly mandated because we do not know when judgment will come. Go back to the idea of guarding a treasure. So you're guarding this treasure. It's a big one. It's worth a lot of money. But you know that the treasure is only at risk between 3 and 6 p.m. on Fridays. Well, if you knew that, it'd be easy, wouldn't it? If you knew that you've just got three hours a week when there's any danger at all concerning this treasure you're guarding, that'd be simple. But of course, thieves are trying to target a physical treasure. They're not going to limit themselves in that way. And we know that the Lord's judgment will come also, even at a time when it's not expected. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, Beginning, Paul says, you you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober you know, this thief in the night analogy is interesting because, again, we understand that when a thief is coming to attack, he's not going to call you up ahead of time and, and tip you off as to when he's going to arrive. The thief knows that he, his, one of his best tools is the element of surprise to attack when not expected. And so when Jesus here is talking about final judgment, he uses that analogy that's pretty easy to to recognize, to relate to. The Lord will come as a thief in the night. That being the case, you just got to be constantly vigilant and always watching. We need to be on guard keep awake so that in the end we can stand so we can stand against the devil's attacks. so that we can stand in anticipation of impending judgment, we need to be on guard and keep awake. We're studying Ephesians on Wednesday night in our Wednesday night class, and coming up real soon in chapter 6, we'll be talking about the so-called Christian armor. And Paul says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. This armor that he's going to go on to describe here is the kind of armor that a Roman guard or a Roman sentry would have employed. That's an illustration that we've had on our charts this morning. And so the kind of armor that a Roman soldier would have is the kind of armor that we need. But it's the armor supplied to us by God. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. That's what we want to do. We want to make our stand. We want to be able to stand, not fall victim. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and above all taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. So we employ the armor of God so that we can stand. We can stand in the the daily assaults of our adversary Satan who is tirelessly trying to get us to sin, trying to separate us from God, wants to cause us to be lost eternally in hell, we've got to be on guard because of Him. We've got to be on guard because we do not know when final judgment will come. What about you? Are you on guard? Have you been watching? Are you in such a state that if the Lord would come today, you'd be ready to answer the call to judgment. If you cannot safely and confidently answer yes to that question, then you need to change something about your life. If you're not ready, if you have not been watching, you need to get your life right with God. If that involves initial obedience to the gospel, we urge you to do that. The plan of salvation is just simply hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. We hope you'll make that decision if you've not already. If you're a Christian but you've fallen back and you've not been faithful to the Lord, come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.